Welcome back to the Foul Balls podcast for February 26th, 2018. And we have 10 games on Monday slate, a few blowout spots. There are what is it, four games with double-digit spreads, so that's definitely going to be an issue that's going to make this a little tougher to figure out who to roster for tomorrow, just kind of going through risk and rewards of some of these plays, but... First game on the slate, the Detroit Pistons at the Toronto Raptors. This is one of those games with the blowout risk. 11-point favorites for uh, Toronto's favorite by 11 points. So Detroit is not as good as people thought they were going to be. They're actually kind of terrible. So one, one of the big issues with the Pistons right now is that they have no depth. So Blake Griffin and Andre Drummond are both fine players individually. They probably don't have a another player on the entire roster outside of Reggie Jackson that I would consider to be an above-average player. But obviously, he's hurt right now. So the the Pistons played decently when Blake Griffin first came. They also had an easier schedule. But Griffin's also playing point guard. They've kind of gone away from that. They've been playing Jameer Nelson a decent amount of point guard. They played some Dwight, uh, Dwight Bikes. They brought him back for the second half today. He hadn't played for a while. This is just not a very good Pistons team, so I think there's a lot more blowout risk here than people would generally think that is reflected in the Vegas line with the Raptors favored by 11 points. So I don't think that there's anybody I want to fi- target from the Pistons side of the game. Andre Drummond's at 9,200. Blake Griffin's at 8,500. Tough game on the road in Toronto, one of the top five teams by defensive efficiency in the league. There's also the blowout risk. From the Raptors' side of the game, I think that Kyle Lowry at 7,300 is cheap enough to target, but I, I don't think anybody else is really a particularly strong play. There's there's a lot of risk here. Yeah, this game is a 218-point over-under, but I think it's a game to fade. Um, I think the Vegas line is probably fair at right around 11 points. It could be a little bit inflated, um, maybe because of the back-to-back, but also the second half of the back-to-back does hurt Detroit. Maybe that's why the line looks curiously high, but... It also is true what you're saying. The Pistons just aren't very good. They've lost a lot of their games since... I don't remember the exact record, but they've lost more games than they've won since they traded for Blake Griffin, and some of those games were against pretty bad teams. So I'm with you. This is a game probably to fade. I don't even think I'm that interested in Kyle Lowry. I think he's probably a little underpriced, but the blowout risk makes it a little harder to use him, and... This is a fairly big slate, and we should have other options around that price range, so I'm, I'm probably just off this game. I think, I think it's better to just look elsewhere. No, I also think that's fair. Uh, if I had to roster one player, it would be Kyle Lowry, except I don't, I don't have to. There's nobody's gonna no, you don't. Say. Yeah, there's nobody's going to say, well, you, you have to roster somebody from, from the Raptors tonight. No, I, I really don't. Um, but I, I, I think it's more, if, I, if, if this is a slate where I make a lot of lineups, Kyle Lowry would be in my player pool. Uh, next game on the slate is the Chicago Bulls at the Brooklyn Nets. So from the Bulls side of the game, Zach Levine is currently questionable. The reason that we're considering him questionable right now is because the Bulls play on Monday and they play on Tuesday. They said the rest of the season, Zach Levine is going to play. He's going to be playing normal minutes, but he's still coming off that ACL injury and they don't want to play him in any back-to-back situations for the rest of the season. They're going to wait until next year to use him in back-to-backs. So since this is a back-to-back, even though it's the front end, we don't know if they're going to opt to rest Levine Monday or Tuesday, but he's definitely going to set out one of those games. So if Levine does sit for this game, then 
let me think, who would step in? The other thing that also makes this difficult is I don't know if that means that does Justin Holiday come back into the rotation? Does Justin Holiday start again? So, you know, Holiday hasn't played the last couple games. Robin Lopez hasn't played the last couple games. So I think it is possible if Levine gets rested, they start Holiday again. I just think that there really isn't enough information here right now to make a good decision on the Bulls side of the game, other than that we know that there is going to be a lot of value if if Levine ends up sitting. Uh, but regardless, I think that uh, I think Cristiano Felicio makes for a pretty strong value play. He was really chalky two games ago, and it was a tough game against Embiid. He was min-priced. He got into foul trouble, only played 12 minutes. Per minute, he was fine. He scored 10 fantasy points in his 12 minutes. But then last game against the Timberwolves, he played 31 minutes and scored 22 fantasy points, and his price didn't move at all. The Nets are giving up the most fantasy points to centers of any team in the league. So I think that Felicio is a good play. I think Bobby Portis could also be a good play, except his minutes are very dependent on Felicio getting into foul trouble. From the Nets side of the game, D'Angelo Russell still remains a little bit too cheap. He's starting now. He's playing full minutes, no restriction. He's probably going to be priced somewhere around 8000 or so by the end of the season. So 6300 makes him one of the stronger values on the slate. Um, there's actually something pretty interesting with the Vegas line already. The Nets have moved from minus 1.5 to minus 3.5. So maybe that suggests that Zach Levine actually will be sitting. I think that that's roughly his value is maybe 2 or 3 points to the point spread. So maybe there is enough speculation about him sitting this game out that the line it, the line's moving to account for it. Uh, maybe there's something that wise guys in Vegas know that we don't know yet. But like you said, uh, I didn't realize this either, that Justin Holiday is still around. So if Levine sits but Holiday plays, it kind of doesn't change too much for the rest of those Chicago guys. Uh, I think Denzel Valentine would only be a really strong play if Levine sat and maybe also if Holiday didn't play either. I think Valentine's usable either way, but I think he'd be arguably the best value play on the slate if both those guys are out. Uh, and then Felicio, yeah, I agree with you. Russell, I think that makes sense. There's probably no one else on the Nets to really consider. Um, the minutes are really spread out, as is always the case with the Nets. Um, so I think it is just D'Angelo Russell, potentially the Bulls guard situation. And then I think Felicio and Portis, it's probably worth having... Portis in any lineup that doesn't have Felicio because Portis, even though he's bad at basketball from a real life perspective, he does produce really well per minute from a fantasy perspective. Um, and at 6,300, I think that's still too cheap if he's going to get the minutes. So there's a lot of upside for Portis. Like you always say, there's a lot of downside for Portis. Um, so it might make sense to not have Portis or Felicio in the same lineup at all, but to have one or the other in most combinations. Yeah, I, I just pref the reason I prefer Felicio is just because he's cheaper and he's starting, so he's first crack at minutes. So last game we saw Felicio stay out of foul trouble. He played over 30 minutes and Portis played under 20. The game before that, Felicio got into foul trouble. Portis played over 30 minutes and Felicio played under 20. So I, I just think that Felicio is better worth the risk because he's cheaper, he's going to be starting, and I still don't think a ton of people are going to roster him. Yeah, I definitely agree that his ownership will be low. And I think he is maybe the better play than Portis, but I definitely would want at least a decent amount of exposure to both of them. Maybe like a 70-30 split towards Felicio, but I, I don't think you can ignore Bobby Portis either because his upside is so high. All right, the next game on the slate is the Memphis Grizzlies at the Boston Celtics. Another one with blowout risk. Celtics are about 11 and a half. 
Also, just a 201 and a half over under. Both these teams play pretty slow. Memphis, kind of just an average defensive team. Boston, very good defensive team. Marcus Gasol rested for the Grizzlies game on Saturday. He is expected to play tomorrow. This game, I think, is a pretty easy fade. Uh, well, Tyreek Evans is out also, right? Is that yes. still the case? So that could make some of the Memphis guys a little interesting just because of the extra minutes and how cheap they are. But Andrew Harrison's actually priced up to 5100 He's going to be popular. He always tends to be popular whenever Evans is out. I think he's just a player that people gravitate towards anyway. I think he could be over 20% owned, even at 5100 But this is a really bad spot for him, so I, I was thinking he'd be more in like the low 4000s I wouldn't use him at that price. Um, and Tyreek Evans being out also just slows the game down. He's probably the best offensive player on the Grizzlies, at least in terms of pure scoring. Gasol might be a better all-around offensive player. But this game could be a slower pace without Evans, so that hurts the I Celtics. I think it's possible to be slower. <laughs> I think it could be a little slower. Well, at least it makes it less likely for the Grizzlies to keep pace, uh, at least keep pace in terms of stay in the game, even if their actual pace in terms of possessions is staying the same because it's already like the minimum, whatever that number would be. Uh, but the, the bottom line is that no Tyreek Evans is actually a downgrade to the Celtics side of the game too because it increases the blowout risk and might actually slow the tempo down a little bit. So I think for all of those reasons, there could be some fairly popular players here, but there's no reason to use anyone from this game. All right, next game, Warriors at Knicks. This is the game with the biggest uh, spread on the slate. The Warriors are favored by 12 points. A lot of blowout risk here. Kevin Durant and Steph Curry are also really expensive. Uh, 10500 for Durant, 10600 for Curry. That is about the most expensive they've been all year when both of them are active. It might even be the highest price tag for each of them when both of them are active all year. When we consider the high price and the blowout risk, I think that they're both fades for me. Uh, the one player who I do think is worth looking at in GPPs from the Warriors side of the game is Klay Thompson at 6500 It's not really that expensive of a price for Klay Thompson. It's kind of just fair for him. The Knicks have been bad against shooting guards this year. And then also something we brought up before, but a lot of times Klay Thompson starts the fourth quarter even in blowouts, so he is less impacted by a one-sided game than the other Warriors players just because he's going to come in for the start of fourth quarter even if it's a 20-point game, and then if it gets out of hand, they'll take him out, and then like Durant and Curry won't see the floor in the fourth quarter, but Klay usually will anyway. From the Knicks side of the game... Uh, where's my guy Trey Burke? Bryce that now. <laughs> 4,600. Uh, Seems a bit high. It is a little bit high. Uh, Trey Burke's been really good lately, and I like Trey Burke quite a bit, just in terms of how I feel like he's kind of turned his career around. I still think he's worth looking at in GPPs, because if there is garbage time, there's a decent chance he's going to play in it. And his usage rating has been so ridiculously high lately, and he's played so well when he's been on the court. And if you look at the last two games for Trey Burke, 30 minutes and 26 minutes, averaging 42 fantasy points per game, and a usage rating of about 33%. So just because of he could play close to 30 minutes and maybe against Warriors backup players, I'm willing to roster him in a GPP at 4,600, but maybe just like one or two shares of him. Well, I'll agree with you that he's a better play than any of the other Knicks point guards. I think he's a 
just a better player than them. Maybe, well, Neil Aquino is a defensive only player, basically. So from a from an offensive fantasy perspective, per minute fantasy production, Burke over Moutier and Neil Aquino. He has more minutes upside. He has more garbage time upside. So if you have to roster one of those guys, I think Burke makes the most sense. Um, as for the blowout portion of this game, I think that the Vegas line for the Warriors on the road is always inflated. It's kind of just always inflated no matter what, unless they're playing another high-profile team. But the problem with that is that even though 11.5 or 12 might overestimate the, the blowout chances, when they, the way the game plays out, it doesn't actually work that way. Like, typically, when the Warriors win a game by 10 or 8 or whatever, that they're favored by 12, it's because the starters came out with a 20-point lead, and then the, it, during garbage time, you know, maybe the Knicks get a backdoor cover or something. So I would actually guess that the Knicks lose the game by less than 12. I think the line's a little too high, but that doesn't mean that the Warriors starters will be playing at the end of the game anyway. It could be a 15 to 20 point margin with six minutes left, and there's no way Curry and Durant are still in the game at that point. Um, even if the game does stay close, though, Curry and Durant are way overpriced, and I think Draymond Green is too. So Clay Thompson would be that one Warriors guy. And then I think from the Knicks, Trey Burke makes some sense for his upside, and I think if you're playing for the blowout, maybe Kyle O'Quinn makes some sense too. Porzingis is still out. O'Quinn gets more minutes as a result of that, and he's only 3,900. The issue is that the Knicks have these G League guys that they've been playing now. So guys like uh, Hicks and Cornette have been going up and down between the G League and the Knicks, and that's who they're going to play in garbage time, and those are guys who are going to be part of the rotation anyway ahead of Kylo Quinn, who's not going to be on the Knicks next year. Yeah, I guess that's true. Kylo Quinn has kind of lost some of his garbage time minutes because the Knicks have players that are worse than him now. Um, yeah, that does cap his minutes upside. I guess he actually would need the game to stay close to play more because I think this is definitely one of the games where Ennis Cantor doesn't play the fourth quarter, which is most Knicks games. The only exceptions are when the games are really close and he's playing well. And when Cantor isn't in at the end, usually Kylo Quinn is the one benefiting from that especially since Porzingis got hurt. But yeah, the, the blowout risk actually does seem like it would hurt Kylo Quinn's minutes. So I, I, I'd probably be off him because of that. That's a fair point. All right, next game, Lakers-Hawks. I like this game uh, quite a bit for stacking. I think that Julius Randle's a good play. Brandon Ingram's a good play. Lonzo Ball is kind of a wait and see because this is his second game back from the knee injury. So... We need to see what his minutes restriction is going to be like. If he's starting and playing full minutes, which I don't think is likely, but I think it's a possibility, he's a really strong play at 6500 in this matchup. He was priced uh, at 8000 right before he got injured, and good matchup, up-paced game, which benefits his play style. So no minutes restriction, Lonzo Ball, a good play. Minutes restriction, Lonzo Ball, not a good play. Uh, Julius Randle has just been playing ridiculously well recently. The minutes are way up. He had a triple-double two games ago. He threatened for a triple-double last game. He is averaging close to 40 fantasy points per game over the last month, and also a plus matchup for him. From the Hawks side of the game, something to keep an eye on. I think that there's a decent chance that Dwayne Dedman doesn't play tomorrow. Dedman got rested in the second half of the last game. He started the first half, and then they started Mike Muscala the second half, and Dedman played zero minutes the second half of the game. He finished with 11 minutes played for the game. So, depending on who they start, 
I think that Muscala could be a good play. I think that John Collins is probably a good play no matter what, and Dennis Schroeder is a good play. Yeah, Collins at 5,800 is probably a better play now than he was in the 4,000s a month or two ago because Ersan Ilyasova, I think he was bought out already, right? Or that's imminent? Yeah, he was bought out, and he's uh, he's signing with the Sixers. Oh, right. So he's out. Deadman could be out. But Deadman, I think at the very least, is going to be playing fewer minutes going forward. Um, so Collins is the biggest beneficiary. And then Muscala at 3600 maybe doesn't have a ton of upside, but there's definitely value in his price tag. Like Muscala just doesn't do that much. So the, there's probably very little 30 fantasy point potential there. But if he plays 25 minutes or something at close to min price, then he's worth rostering anyway. Yeah, I think I agree with you on Schroeder and Lonzo Ball. Um, I'd call them somewhat marginal. Same with Julius Randle. Although, if we somehow know that Ball has no minutes restriction, then he becomes a really strong play. Definitely agree with that. But I don't know that I think of Schroeder as that good of a play at 6,800. It's kind of just where he's always priced. I think I'd be more inclined to use him in a game stack, which I actually do think is pretty viable if we get the right updates. So if we know that Ball is unrestricted and we know that Deadman's out, then it's more clear-cut who to stack from the game. I think it would be Schroeder, Collins, obviously, uh, Muscala maybe, and then from the Lakers you could do Randall with Lonzo Ball and then maybe mix in one or two other guys like Brandon Ingram or um, Kentavious Caldwell-Pope is I think put up 40-plus fantasy points in two straight games. And then Kent Bazemore and Torian Prince are pretty high-variance players, but both of them have some upside. So the game becomes a lot more stackable if we get some clarity with the injury situations. Okay, the next game on the slate, another one of blowout risk. We have the Oklahoma City Thunder, favored at ten, favored by ten at home against the Magic. So for the Magic, Aaron Gordon and Nikola Vucevic have both been playing with a minutes restriction. I don't know if that still exists for tomorrow or not. If it doesn't exist at all, then I think Aaron Gordon is a fine play at seventy two hundred. I think Fournier is a fine play at fifty five hundred. And then from the Thunder side of the game, I think that. Westbrook is a good guy to pay up for, but I would probably only use these guys in some sort of stack where I'm using them all together. So some kind of combination of Westbrook, Gordon, and Fournier, because there's enough blowout risk here that if you're just going to use Westbrook by himself, then there's a very good chance that he plays well for three quarters the game isn't close he probably needs a good game from somebody like Gordon or Vucevic or Fournier for him to be able to pay off his salary yeah I think this actually is the most intriguing potentially low-owned stack spot uh the sharp money is already on Orlando they've moved from plus ten and a half to plus ten almost plus nine and a half already even though most people are betting the thunder at least early on I would think that that continues because most people just bet on the big favorite no matter what anyway. Uh, but the Magic are probably a little underrated right now because they're healthier than they were before with Vucevic and Gordon back. Uh, they just lost. I think that was their last game where they lost to the Knicks at home. So a little recency bias there that's probably causing this point spread to be inflated. And the Thunder, for as many great players as they have, or at least a couple great players, they have a lot of bad games where they play close games against bad teams. I don't think it's a lock that they win this game by double digits. It probably is more likely than not that the game stays reasonably close. Um, but the only way that Westbrook can really do that well, or that some of these magic guys, the veterans especially can do that well is if the game stays close. 
So I think I really would only want to use them together. Uh, but I think this is a game that I would probably stack pretty heavily because I think there's a lot of upside for it. Westbrook obviously has potential to have a massive game every night, and this is a really good matchup. Uh, and the Orlando guys seem a little bit underpriced. Uh, Evan Fournier. Did you say the Gordon and Vucevic prices? I'm just looking for them now. I thought yeah, I... uh, Gordon is 7,200. Vucevic is 7,500. Uh, the issue, just the issue I have with each of them is just going to be the minutes restriction. So the last game, Gordon did play about 30 minutes, but Vucevic was still under 30. So I'd be a little bit more inclined to play Gordon. The other thing also is that Gordon missed about a month with his injury, whereas Vucevic was out for, I think, close to two to three months. So that's probably the reason that they'll be a little more willing to give Gordon more minutes than they'd be willing to give Vucevic minutes. Yeah, that makes sense. I think doing if you're going with a mini stack where you just want three or four guys, I think I would look to Westbrook and Fournier and Gordon first. And then if you really want to use a lot of players from the game, then maybe Vucevic makes the cut. But Gordon does seem like a safer option with probably more upside than Vucevic. Uh, Paul George is still a little bit overpriced, too, from when Westbrook was out. He's up to 9000 still. Uh, so I'd probably rather use Steven Adams or even... I don't know, Carmelo Anthony's been so bad. But I think the core for a game stack would be Fournier, Gordon, Westbrook, and Steven Adams. Okay, next game, Phoenix Suns at New Orleans Pelicans. This game actually has the highest point total on the, on the slate at 231.5. From the Suns side of the game, Devin Booker at 8,300 is my favorite play on the Suns. It's still... I think a little cheap for him based on where he's been for the year where he's been, um, let's see, kind of like mid to eight, uh, where, where did that just go? Things are closing on my iPad here, Matt. <laughs> All right. Yeah. He's been priced like in the mid to high eight thousands for most of the season. So 8,300, what's a plus matchup against the Pelicans and what should be a really high scoring game. I think Booker's a good play. Alfred Payton has upside at 7,700. He always has downside, too. He's super risky, really high variance. So he's a GPP-only play. I feel the same way about Alex Len at 5,600. He's averaging 31 fantasy points per game as the starting center for the Suns this year. So definitely still pricing value on him. There's just always the risk of him just having a really shitty game or getting into foul trouble. So also GPP-only for me for Len at 5,600. From the Pelican side of the game, Anthony Davis, Drew Holiday, Nikola Mirotic are all fine plays, and I think I could even justify using Rajon Rondo 5,800 because he has played more minutes in almost all his games recently. The only game where his minutes were down was the game against the Lakers. We got ejected really quickly. So 5,800 for him, I think, is a good spot to roster him. There is upside in the game against the Suns, but he's another guy who's always... GPP only for me. So would you have interest in game stacks here? Because it sounds like if all the players are GPP only, which I sort of agree with, then it only really makes sense to use them if you're playing for the game to be close for that extra upside. And this game only has a seven point spread. The Pelicans are a better team than the Suns, obviously, and they're at home, but they're coming off an overtime game against the Bucks. And the Pelicans aren't very good defensively. They're not a great team. They're maybe an average one. So this game could stay close, and there's a lot of upside for it if it does stay close. So is this a game to kind of just stack or stay away from, maybe outside of Booker and maybe Miritich? Well, actually, well, Anthony Davis is my favorite player from this game. 
Uh, Anthony Davis is going to be my favorite stud on the slate, and is I would guess is going to be the player who I have the most exposure to. So, I mean, I just like Anthony Davis a lot in this spot. We've said it before, he's been really good since Demarcus Cousins got hurt, and the, the playing time for him is ridiculous. There's always the chance that he's going to get hurt, but prior to today's game where he scored 52 fantasy points, he'd scored over 60 fantasy points in three of his last four games and actually 77 or more in three of his last four. Really easy matchup against the Suns, who are just terrible on defense. So I really like Anthony Davis a lot in this spot. Yeah, I kind of just overlooked him because he's, he's almost too obvious. Uh, I think he's a better play than Westbrook in a vacuum, but Westbrook might have more upside for the game stacks, and Westbrook might be lower owned because of the perceived blowout risk. But yeah, I like Anthony Davis a lot too. I think I may be off Alex Len because he's coming off two really strong games where he was popular, and he figures to definitely be popular again. And he is kind of pricey now, and there's a lot of downside for him. So maybe I would only use Len in game stacks. Otherwise, I think I'd be pretty light on him. Uh, yeah, the, the the good plays from this game, though, is probably Davis, Miritich, and Booker, and then I would really only look to the other guys if it's a lineup where there are several players from this game in it. All right, next game on the slate, the Indiana Pacers at the Dallas Mavericks. One guy who seems pretty mispriced is Victor Oladipo, all the way down to 8,900. He's been in the mid to high 9,000 range a lot recently, and if you look at his recent fantasy production, 46 fantasy points, 40, 68, 60 fantasy points. In last three games, he was 9,600, 9,600, 9,000. So it's weird to see him score that highly and his price to go down. I mean, I know that the Mavericks played a pretty slow pace, but it's not like there are some super difficult matchup or anything like that. So I think that Oladipo is a strong play at 8,900. From the Dallas side of the game, what is the price on J.J. Barea now? He's been awesome lately. J.J. Barea is at 5,900, so probably a little bit more than I want to pay for him. Uh, nope, I don't I don't really think anybody's a good play from the Dallas side of the game. Yeah, it seems like just Oladipo then. Uh, where is Miles Turner's price? 6,700. Okay, yeah, that, it seems like just Oladipo then. I don't really have much interest in anyone else either. All right, the next game here is Houston Rockets at the Utah Jazz. Oddly, nobody on the Rockets has been priced down for this game. Tough matchup in Utah, slow pace game. Also, the road hard with back to back. So, Harden at 11,100, Chris Paul at 8,800. I think those are pretty easy fades for this slate. From the Utah side of the game, big pace up spot for them. Utah is really good defensively, but I think that the pace could help them a little bit. If Ricky Rubio isn't going to have a minutes restriction, I think he's in play at 5,600. I know it's a tough matchup against Chris Paul, but Rubio was playing so well prior to getting injured, and he was priced over 7000 So at 5600 if he's going to play a regular amount of minutes, then I think he's a good play, and he correlates nicely with Ricky Rubio at 7200 I also think is in play. All right, I have, to, I have to clarify a couple things that I think you misspoke about. Ricky Rubio correlating with Ricky Rubio. You mean Rudy Gobert, right? Oh, sorry, yeah. <laughs> and he I think correlates with Ricky Rubio also, though. He definitely does. I can't disagree with that. Um, and you're saying the Rockets are good defensively, but they play fast enough that it makes the matchup a pretty decent one, which I do think is true. And the betting line suggests that also, partly because it's a back-to-back for Houston, uh, but the Jazz have already dropped from plus 2.5 down to plus 2. The total's gone up from 211 to 212. 
So Sharps maybe are on the Jazz after the Rockets played a pretty tough game in Denver. I would guess that that's kind of a tough back-to-back to play on also, going from in Denver to on the road again somewhere else, just with the altitude and wherever. I don't I don't know if there's any real like data for that, but it might be a tougher back-to-back than normal. So this could be a better spot for the Jazz than we think, but it's a good spot either way. And yeah, I think the Rubio-Gobert correlation is the place to target them. Joe Ingles has been really good. I think right around the time Rodney Hood got traded is when Ingles started playing a lot better. 6000 is maybe a usable price for him. I don't know. Would you use him or Royce, Royce O'Neal? I'd say Donovan Mitchell probably not usable with Rubio playing, but what about those other Utah guys? Well, so here's the thing with Joe Ingles. Joe Ingles does – his minutes are held by, by Rodney Hood being gone. But the other thing also is that when Ricky Rubio is hurt, that also meant more ball handling responsibility for Joe Ingles. And Joe Ingles was kind of the primary point guard playmaker when Donovan Mitchell was off the court. So he, I think, really gets impacted by Ricky Rubio being back. So to me, just the price is too expensive for Ingles, who has a drop in role with Rubio back now. Yeah, that makes sense. So if you're using Rubio, how much Gobert are you using with him? Or would you use those guys individually because it kind of seems like it doesn't make too much sense to use one without the other, especially because there are a lot of pretty decent options on this slate. Well, I'm going to be using Gobert no matter what, because I just think that he's a little bit too cheap. He's also been playing really well recently and I'm still going to use him even if Rubio has a minutes restriction and Rubio is playing less minutes, but I wouldn't be using Rubio in that situation. Uh, So I'm a little higher on Gobert than I am on Rubio. Uh, but I, I definitely like pairing them together also. So I guess it's more use Gobert by himself, but you probably won't have much Rubio without Gobert. I think that's sort of where I would, would fall also. That if you're going to use Rubio, put him in the lineups that already have Rudy Gobert in them. Uh, but Rudy Gobert by himself is definitely fine. All right, next game on the slate, final game, the Minnesota Timberwolves of the Sacramento Kings. So we have no Jimmy Butler for maybe the rest of the regular season. He's going to be out for a while. He just had knee surgery. And if we, if you think that that's going to change, how Tim Thibodeau, how Tom Thibodeau, is going to run his rotations, uh, it is not because last game the Timberwolves were up 18 in the fourth quarter and he brought the starters back out. So the starters are still going to play their ridiculous amount of minutes. The issue is the prices on them right now. So we have Jeff Teague's gone all the way up to 7,400. Per 36 minutes, he scores 37 fantasy points with Jimmy Butler off the floor this year. So I just think it's a very fair price for him at 7,400. Wiggins scores 32 fantasy points per 36 minutes with Butler off the floor. So fair price for him at 6,600. Same with Cat at 9,900. So I would say that all of these guys are just kind of okay, but there's not really too much exciting in their price tags. I think Bielitsa is still a bit too cheap. He's averaging about 26 fantasy points in the games that Butler's out this year. So I think that he's fine to roster 4,700. Jamal Crawford played almost 30 minutes last game. I think that he's a good value at 3,800. From the Kings side of the game, what are the prices here? We have... Willie Cauley-Stein, 6,500. Buddy Heald, 53. I think Scal is the guy to use from the Kings. He's His price actually went down from last game, and he was pretty good. Uh, he's at 4,500 now. 
Yeah, I would say I think that he's an okay but not a great play. Still, the issue is just the minutes for him. He only played 25 minutes last game. He did score 22 fantasy points in 25 minutes, which is okay. It's nothing really that exceptional. The issue is just they they still have Zebo, They still have Costa Kufis. And the Kings insist on getting all these guys playing time. So I, I'm not sure what the upside is for Scal. Yeah, I don't think there's a lot of upside for really anyone on the Kings. I mean, once in a while, Zach Randolph has a monster game and we just can't predict when that's going to happen, especially because he can be rested basically at any time and the Kings are always playing on the last game of the slate. So it's really risky to roster him. Uh, This game might be one to stay away from for the most part. I think Crawford and Bielitsa are really safe picks because they both should be pretty high owned and they both... Are gonna get, they're both going to get minutes. I mean, there's no way really that either of them plays less than 25 minutes, and they're both underpriced. So I think that they're fine, even though they'll be popular. And then I can't see Jeff Teague being worth rostering, especially from a game theory perspective, because he's coming off an enormous game um, against the Bulls last time out when Butler didn't play. So people will be using Jeff Teague, and I think he makes for a good fade. And then Wiggins and Towns, maybe. I think they're kind of just fair, like you said. Uh, but Teague is the one I'd be the lowest on. I think I'll probably just end up using Crawford and Bielitsa because paying up for Towns means that you can't really use Davis or Westbrook. And I think we both agree that those are the better plays for high-end players. Um, so I think it's just those two cheap guys on the Wolves and then nothing really else from this game. Yeah, it's funny because I was just looking through the Kings minutes because I was trying to figure out, like, who played minutes for the Kings last game if Scal didn't play that many minutes? And it was Willie Cauley-Stein played 37 minutes. So maybe you look at that and go, oh, is Cauley-Stein going to play a bunch of minutes? The game before, Cauley-Stein played 22 minutes, and they played Zebo almost the entire game with Kufis out. So the minutes are just so difficult to predict for the Kings. Uh, I do think that for his price, Scal has the most upside of any of those players, but I still don't think that it's a massive amount of upside. So he is usable in GPP, not cash games, and just nobody else in the Kings dwell on a roster. Yep, that's fair, and especially if the game is going to be fairly popular, it's a good game to stay away from. Uh, but yeah, I do have at least a little bit of interest in Scal. Maybe he gets more minutes this game, uh, but everyone else is pretty risky. Okay, that will finish today's podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at GRNBirdDFS. Matt's Twitter handle is at Preaching Sense, and we'll be back for Tuesday's slate.